the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And every weekday at 4 o'clock, you can listen to the Word to Stand On for Life. It's a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions or pretty much anything that you have on your heart or mind, what we believe as Christians and why we'll do the best that we can to give you those answers straight from His Word. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free if you're outside the local area by dialing 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in with our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, our phone number, our primary phone number is 340-9585. Hey, because it's Wednesday tonight, uh, we have a Bible study here in Isaiah chapter 10, and I'm actually going to do one verse in chapter 11 as well. And then, of course, tomorrow is the date day edition of the program. Paula will be live in studio. But not just Paula and Mara. We're going to have several ladies from the women's retreat sort of share their hearts. And I'm going to be unashamed in saying that my purpose in doing this, and we do it every year, is we want people in the listening audience to get involved in a local church. And when there are things like retreats and group outings, you need to participate. You know, the people who don't go can't be blessed. And the people who go, you know, and there's a lot of people uncomfortable with things like retreats. But you're going to hear from some ladies uh, tomorrow who... Uh, really, really, really let you know how thrilled they are that they went and how the Lord showed up as He always does and um, encourage you, I hope, to do the same thing with your church. Retreats are good things. I'm not a retreat guy. I don't like being out in nature. I don't like the dust and the dirt and spiders and the other things. But every time, the Lord shows up. So, We'll do that on tomorrow's program, live with beautiful Paula. Here's some questions. Let me go to Dale's question first. He said, can you help me with time management relating to preparing messages and all the other things we pastors have to do? I'm especially interested in balancing family and church. Now, I read this question on the program yesterday and then thought, oh, I don't have time. It was right at the end to do it. So, Dale, thank you for being patient with me and uh, allowing us to hold this question over. Um, Let let me start with the end, because I think this is so important, Dale. Uh, You said you're interested in balancing family and church. There can be no balance. This is really, really important. I want to try to make myself clear. Uh, Paula is my partner in this ministry. 
And I've never had to say, okay, well, I can't do this at church because I'm neglecting Paula. Or, I mean, we're, we're both, we understand the calling. Now, we're at a different time in our lives than a lot of you are. And Dale, you don't have any indication how old you are, how old your kids are. Um, but um, if you commit everything to your calling, God will make sure that all of the things that come sort of under the umbrella of your calling have plenty of time. Wife, kids, um, um, work, if you're bivocational. Um, it's really important that you and your wife are on one accord. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? Amos 3.3 3 says, and that principle works so wonderfully for marriage uh, in, in, in a ministry marriage. Um, Dale, let me share this with you. I tell, we, we've planted a whole bunch of churches out of our church. And we tell all of the people, I do a, a, also a pastor's discipleship class every other Saturday. This coming Saturday is one of those classes. It's a two-hour class from 1030 to 1230. And uh, we talk about issues uh, in the church. We, we talk about issues with regards to our callings. One of the things that I say often is that when somebody goes out to start a church, the first two years, and that's general but I think pretty accurate, the first two years, it's the Lord teaching the husband and the wife to walk together in the ministry. There has to be agreement. There has to be a oneness of heart and mind and purpose. And, um, you know, we can learn to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We, we've got to understand what a privilege it is to be called to do what we do. So all of that to say, there, there doesn't ever need to be any balance. You just give everything you've got to the work that God has called you to. He will make sure all of the other things in your life get the time that they need. Uh, most of my staff pastors here, Dale, have younger kids. And a couple of them have four kids. Um, I think three of them have four kids, in fact. And... Um, um, you know, the family's part of the ministry. We're a big family here, and the family is part of the ministry. But the one thing I tell them all the time is, I don't want them to miss stuff with their kids. Kids got a ball game. I want them to be at the ball game. Um, um, we, we can manage. I've got a bunch of pastors on staff. We can manage if, if this is a week where there's a, a ball game. Now, uh, I, I want my pastors to be here on Sundays. Uh, I have no problem with that. Their families are also here serving. Uh, and we say no, typically as a pastoral group, to things that happen on Sundays. You know, soccer and Little League and all those things that happen now on Sundays. We just we want our kids to understand their priorities and Jesus comes first. Having said that, um, I've got a, a pastor, my, my, my primary assistant, the man who's going to take over for me when it's time for me to step down. Uh, he has his older son, oldest son, who's getting ready to go to college. And they've been gone a lot in the last few weeks, um, traveling to colleges and campus visits and things like that. And that's the way it should be. I've got another pastor whose son decided for the first time he wants to play baseball. I always tell the kids, boys who love their fathers play baseball. So I want them to be at the baseball games or the basketball games and whatever it is they do. I don't want them to miss those things. God understands those things. But beyond that, the family understands that they're all in it together. My worship pastor is such a great example of this. He is here uh, on Sundays. Um, uh, that means his kids get here. When they were younger, they called Sunday Dark Church Day. Can we go to Dark Church Day? That means it's really, really dark when they get up and come to church. But the kids are here for all three services. They're here from the moment they, they arrive in the morning to, to start setting up the sound and doing the rehearsal and all of that. The kids are here, and they're here uh, until the family leaves. Um, on Sunday, it's usually uh, mid to late afternoon. So um, uh, it's just it's a family affair. Um, relative to... I just was telling me I have four pastors with four kids each, Pastor Ken, Pastor Lane, Pastor Brian, and Pastor Will. And then I have one who has seven, Dale. So uh, those might be the guys you talk to about balancing family. Uh, Pastor Alfredo's family has just increased the last couple of years by three kids that they've adopted. So 
uh, I want them in, invested in the kids' lives as well. Now, with time management uh, relating to preparing messages and the other things we pastors have to do, I assume you're talking about counseling and things like that. Uh, you, you have to be organized. Uh, I do three different Bible studies a week. Uh, my Wednesday night tonight will be in Isaiah. Friday nights, we're in the, the New Testament book of Hebrews. And on Sundays, we're in the New Testament book of of uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And so um, uh, I have got to be organized. I try, deal to work a couple weeks ahead. Um, I've been doing as well lately as I once did just a, a few months ago. But uh, I, I want to I stay a couple weeks ahead because I don't ever want to go into the pulpit ill-prepared. So you just have to discipline yourself. Protect your study time. Protect your prayer time. Um, um, counseling is an important part of what we do. Hospital visitations, things like that. Uh, you don't tell me anything about your church, Dale, so I would imagine that you've got people in the church who can do things like hospital visits. I think the one thing we pastors have to understand is that we're not... Uh, we, we don't have to make ourselves available for everything that anybody wants us to do. Uh, we've got staff that can help, and God bless the staff I have here. Uh, the Lord has really and truly blessed me. So, uh, maybe a little more than you wanted to know, Dale, but that's my answer. Donna says, Pastor on my question is about head coverings in 1 Corinthians 11. Why aren't head coverings worn in church now? Donna, the, if, if you look closely at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, The context there is really not about head coverings at all. It's about authority, being under authority. A woman who who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. The the, the idea there, the head spiritually, and that's speaking about her husband. Now, here's a couple of things to remember hermeneutically, Don, about 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is a local situation that Paul is addressing. Um, um, there's no reference to Genesis. This isn't a, a rule that Paul is laying down for all of his churches, like the one in First Timothy where he says, I do not permit a woman to teach her of authority over a man. And then he explains why. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and it was Eve who was deceived. So uh, the, the, the idea of male headship is a result of a curse. But in First Corinthians 11, there's no appeal to Genesis to establish that this is something for all time for the church. So this is a local situation. You also need to know, Donna, some of the things that are going on in Corinth. There was uh, a, a temple to, to Aphrodite, or Diana, she was also called, or Artemis. Um, and um, it, it was a place where there were a thousand prostitutes, male and female, who were available for um, doing this with tongue-in-cheek worship uh, all the time. And a lot of the people in Corinth, the Christians, were, were saved out of that lifestyle. Now, in the temple of, of Diana, uh, to let somebody know that a woman was available, they shaved their head. Uh, just know I'm on duty, I'm here, and I'm available. And uh, so the men would go in and, and make a deal, and, and, and they would worship Diana. Um, in Corinth, when he says, if your head's uncovered, you might as well be bald, you might as well say you're available. And, and his appeal there is to remain under authority. He begins this passage with, with God the Father is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of the church, the head of man, and man is the head of woman. That's the order of authority, spiritually speaking. Now remember, this is only to your own husband, not to others. And what he's saying basically to the women in Corinth is uh, be under the authority of your husband, the spiritual authority of your husband, um, to be without that authority is to be disrespectful, to dishonor God. So for all of those reasons, head coverings aren't worn in churches. Now you've seen on the Middle East, you've seen in Orthodox churches where head coverings are still worn. Uh, they have a different view of the passage of Scripture that is, is um, frankly, um, not well thought out and certainly not uh, hermeneutically consistent. Uh, but 
Um, Donna, women aren't required to wear head coverings now at all, and um, I hope that helps. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Mike. He said, Pastor Ron, do you have any recommendations on commentaries for Daniel and Revelation? Uh, Mike, before I tell you some of the ones that I, I recommend, uh, uh, on our website, calvaryessay.com, my commentaries are on there, and they're not for sale or anything, but just my notes. And I have uh, reams and reams and reams of chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse notes on both of those books. I, I, happen, I happen to think, and I, this, I don't mean this with any boasting at all, but uh, I think the commentary I've written for Daniel is one of my best ones. I just absolutely love the book. So both of those things are available to you, and they are for free. So uh, having said that, uh, Revelation, the best commentary that I can I can um, uh, recommend to you is John Walford, uh, W-A-L-V-O-O-R-D. Uh, things to Come is one of the commentaries. He's also got a verse-by-verse commentary on the book of Revelation. Uh, John Walverd is a standard bearer for commentaries on Revelation, and um, uh, it's quite, quite good. Uh, I also like uh, William H. Newell, N-E-W-E-L-L, for uh, Revelation. Uh, I especially like uh, Newell uh, because his commentary is written pre-1948, before uh, Israel uh, returned to their homeland at a time when nobody thought that would be possible. And he was one of those guys who said, no, God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen, so this is what it means. And uh, his commentary uh, was really, really good. Um, so I like that one. Uh, there's another one, uh, kind of old-timey guy, uh, Dwight J. Pentecost. Um, I think his book is also called Things to Come. But uh, look up Dwight J. Pentecost. He's got a great commentary on the book of Revelation. So there is a bunch of them out there. But what you want to do is make sure that your commentator is pre-mill, pre-trib in their eschatology, and you'll be fine. As for Daniel, um, those are a little harder to find. There are so many bad commentaries on Daniel um, uh, because the liberals have sort of taken uh, it apart and decided that it couldn't be from God. Uh, Daniel couldn't be written before all those things happened because the prophecies were fulfilled so completely uh, and perfectly, by the way. Um, so you you got to be careful. Um, let me just recommend one to you. Um, it's it's a, a, a commentary. It's not a big one either, but it's really good. It's called Dare to be a Daniel by David Hawking, H-O-C-K-I-N-G. And I think that's available. I think David, who I know well, is is um, still around uh, and selling his commentaries online. So that would be my suggestion for Daniel. H.A. Ironside has a good one for Daniel. Uh, and there are others. Uh, Warren Wearsby uh, has a good one for, for Daniel. Uh, so those are some some uh, recommendations, Mike. But enjoy, you know, Mike. When I went to Bible college, my very first semester, the the two core classes were Daniel and Revelation, and to to read them together, to study them together, is really really great. So I would look at Daniel first, then go directly into Revelation, and I think your um, your your heart will be. Um, blessed abundantly in the process. Good question, Mike. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Kenneth. Is it possible to say God loves everyone when he knows who's going to accept him? Well, Kenneth, it's not only possible, but it's something that we're we're commanded to do. Um, We can say God loves everyone because the Bible says God loves everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. Um, if you believe John 3.16, then you've got to tell people that God loves them. Not only that, but we know God is love. Now, that's important because it also proves that God loves people who are going to reject him. Of course God knows who's going to accept him. That's what foreknowledge is all about. But it means only, Kenneth, that God is able 
to love those who accept him in a completely different way. It's not that God doesn't want to love everybody the same way. God is patient, Peter says, unwilling that any should perish. He wants all to come to repentance and to believe in the Son of God. So, obviously, the gift that God gave this world is available to everyone, but it's only to those who say yes to that free gift, those who receive by faith. Um, they're the only ones who get to benefit from the love of God. That's very important. If you're going to benefit from the love of God, then you've got to ask Jesus into your heart. But yes, he loves everybody. Kenneth, thank you for the question. Let's go to... don't have a call here. Okay, we've got Jim on the line. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Oh, thanks for having me on the line. Huh? Thank, thank you for taking my call. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Jim. Okay. I have a question on big subject, just whatever you can share. Uh, the fear of God. How does that relate to God's love? And um, what part should it play in the life of the believer? I wonder, maybe my first John 4.18, it says, perfect love, cast out all fear. and. Um, uh-huh. Okay, I can, Jim. Thank you very, very much. And in fact, um, uh, these next two Wednesday night studies, I'm going to be talking about that very thing. Uh, and then once again on our, um, uh, not this Friday, but the following Friday uh, in the book of Hebrews, we're going to talk about um, the, the fear of God. Um, I, I like to use the term filial. It's a filial fear. It's a loving fear of God. Now, obviously, we're not afraid of God in the sense that he is a terror to us. Um, but we need to fear God in a reverential way. And by that, I mean understanding that being in his will for a believer or uh, for somebody who's not yet a believer, they need to fear the, the and dread that, that moment when they're going to stand before the Lord in judgment. Now, in the first John passage you read that perfect love casts out fear, it goes on to say that that's because fear has to do with judgment. And Jim, you and I, we don't have any fear of judgment because Jesus has completely, completely washed away all of our sins. So I'm not afraid of being judged. Perfect love, God's love given to me, has cast that fear completely away. But the relationship that we have with God still has to be based on fear. Now let me explain this because this is important to follow. Um, We hear so much teaching about grace, and rightfully so, uh, we hear so much about Jesus being our friend and Jesus being our big brother and Jesus loving us and wanting us to be blessed. All of those things are true. But we hear almost no teaching on the fear of God. And for you and for me, Jim, what it means is we need to fear with a dread of not being with Jesus and not being in his will. When Paul says, therefore, brothers, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is the reasonable thing, our reasonable response to everything God has done. The NIV says our genuine or our spiritual act of worship. And then he goes on to say, so do not be conformed, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's perfect will is. So the idea there is, I'm afraid Jim, every day, what can happen if I'm not with Jesus? I'm truly afraid of the mess I can make and, and the, the depth of loss that is available every day if I'm not with Jesus. You know, our human thinking would, would think that after I'm, I'm 28 years in the Lord, after 28 years, you know, I shouldn't have to worry about those kind of things. But my flesh is no better than it was 28 years ago. And because my flesh was no better than it was 28 years ago, it means that I can still do every horrible thing I ever did if I get any distance between me and Jesus. And Jim, I'm going to be very honest with you. This is the overwhelming fear of my life. 
It's what drives me to be close to Jesus. Now, when I'm with Jesus, I'm close to Jesus, then, then the abundance of my life is, is, is rich. It's a blessing. But I know who I am apart from Christ. And I'm terrified of that tendency we humans have to sort of take God for granted, to start moving a little bit away from Him, or to start dabbling and saying, I don't want to do any of those things. I cannot imagine the consequences of, of messing up. I have a great life. I have a, a privileged calling. And uh, I, I can't imagine having to stand before my church or, God forbid, stand before my wife and tell them why I couldn't be their pastor anymore. I can't imagine telling Paula that she's no longer pastor's wife because I messed up. So I'm terrified of that. And that's a holy fear that keeps me running to and staying close to Jesus. So, um, uh, Jim, I I hope that helps. It's not afraid of God like he's going to crush me because Jesus was crushed for us. But it's a fear of not being with him where he is. That ought to drive every one of our walks with the Lord. Um, Jim from San Marcos, another Jim, is holding on over the break. We'll get to you right after the break. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We will be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Let's go to San Marcos and talk to Jim online too. Jim, thanks for your patience and holding. You're on the air. No problem. Thanks for your show. I appreciate you being here every day at four o'clock. It's it's kind of a kind of getting in the car with a friend almost after having a tough day. You know what I mean? <laughs> Bless your heart, man. Thanks. Uh, I tend to I, t- I call you probably twice, three times a month, and I tend to always be complaining. And here I go again. Uh, I was in a uh, certain denomination church, good solid biblical church this past weekend, and our, I look in the bulletin and it's promoting a women's conference in a certain large town. And it's going to have like 10,000 women go and sit under the teaching of a certain prominent lady who has gone off the rails the last few years. And I'm trying to figure out how do I talk to my elders and my pastor of saying, well, why are we sending our ladies to see them? And I know the answer is, well, the ladies want to go and this and that and whatever. So I've got one of the deacons that's going to bend the pastor's ear a little bit. But beyond that, I don't, I don't want to say her name because you probably know who it is already, but it's just she's not she's not on the money anymore. She used to sort of be on the money. Now she's off. Now she's off in the weeds. So how should I handle it? I, I know going through the deacons or the elders is the best way, but I, I'm really at a loss because I'm I'm afraid for what infiltrates the congregation from ladies like this. Yeah, Jim, I'd prefer you say her name so so that way we can we can talk a little that bit more be- specifically. <laughs> It would be Beth Moore, uh, a, a darling okay. of the Southern Baptist Convention for some reason. I'm not sure why she is. <laughs> she's she's sure had a lot of contention with the Southern Baptist con- Convention for sure over the last few years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jim, uh, you know I, these are important things, and and I think there 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 are people inside the church that really and truly. Um, need to, in love, confront their pastors who are promoting these kinds of things. Now, as false teachers go, now I'm going to I'm going to be very careful what I say here. But as false teachers go, um, Beth Moore is is the best of the worst. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, and she has come a long way. She is taking a, a huge public stand now for. Um, uh, sort of equality in the church. She's not gone full egalitarian yet, but she certainly mm-hmm. seems to be headed in that direction. 
And I think your pastor needs to hear not only from his deacons or elders, but I think he needs to hear from people in the body what your concerns are so he can turn on YouTube and listen to Beth Moore himself. Uh, She Mm -hmm. writes prolifically. There's a lot of stuff out there. Um, I think the the Southern Baptist Convention has been um, unfair to her in the past. I think they have been dismissive of her. I think at one time she was probably a pretty good resource for them, and she was mm-hmm. um, sort of treated like little girl go stand in the corner kind of thing, and she's angry about that. Um, mm-hmm. But but just simply doctrinally and some of the things that she's um, going through, uh, I, I, it's just not something I would recommend to my church at all. If I were to do one of those things, if I were to say, you know, there's a big women's conference coming into town, I would fully expect people in my church to come to me and say, Pastor Ron, I can't believe you recommended this because of, and I would hope they love me enough to do that. Now, the, the, right. the difficult thing, Jim, is is you, you said you probably know the answer. Well, the ladies want to do it, uh, but that's why they need a pastor. That's why they need a shepherd to say, but, but here are the danger signs. I can't stop people from right. going to things, but here are the danger signs. I do that all the time here at our church, and... and uh, um, so I, I'm, I'm just really careful, Jim, about uh, who the people here that God has given me responsibility for are listening to. Uh, people have different levels of discernment. Uh, we live in a star culture where if somebody has a name and a big stage and there's a lot of people, um, we're influenced unduly by them. And I think Beth Moore is one of those that's sort of right on the edge. Uh, and and I would just I would just tell your pastor in love and with respect, and and if he said to you, well, you know, the ladies want to go, I'd say, but that's why they need a pastor to give them direction, and uh, yeah. and 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 then you've done your part, and the rest is up to him. Okay, all right. Well, do, okay. do you have a particular uh, a ladies type uh, studies that that is solid? Uh, you might have to ponder that for a while. We could get Paula to come to our church. That'd be good. <laughs> but uh, pa- I mean, Paula would, would go. Yeah. For the, the ladies to be attracted to. I mean, they're attracted to the star and the the the, the study they just did on a David study. Uh, I can't remember. Have a heart like David. I think it's the old study they yeah. just did of, of of Beth Moore, and now they're wanting to get attracted. It'd be ten thousand ladies up there in Austin when they go to this. Yeah. Okay. I, you give I, me the right I just wish you would go. Figure it out. Thank you, Jim. God bless you, man. You know, uh, one of the things that, that I, I would I would add to this is that I'm not a big women's study person. We have women's studies here at Calvary Chapel. Monday night uh, is our women's study. We have a Thursday morning women's study, uh, and the two teachers. Well, actually, there's the, the Monday night is a group of teachers. Uh, and then we have two teachers on the Thursday morning. I mean, they're people that I've known for many, many years, and I know their hearts, I know their walk, uh, I know they're gifted to teach, and I have absolutely no problem with them teaching. But here's why I am so confident. They teach the Bible, Jim, verse by verse. They teach the Bible. The ladies on Monday nights now are in the book of Judges. Paula is going to be teaching the next uh, Monday night in Judges. It's That's a week from this coming Monday night. Um, and they're going through the book of Judges um, on, I, I, I don't know offhand what book they are on on Thursday, but um, uh, we also have a, a, a Spanish Bible study for women on Thursday nights, uh, which is is uh, uh, led by the wife of, of our, our Spanish ministry pastor. We're going to be sending them out to Mexico soon, so we're going to have to get somebody else to replace them. But um, we teach the Bible. We don't teach books. And it always drives me crazy when we got this book written by God that is so rich and so full, Jim, that somebody says, well, let's teach a Beth Moore book or let's teach a Joyce Meyer book or let's teach this or let's teach that. It absolutely makes no sense to me um, why we would do that. It's It's no longer a Bible study if you're reading a book written by somebody. And uh, I just think we, in the church, we who are pastors, we need to show our people how confident we are in the Word of God. And if I say, okay, we're going to study A.W. Tozer, who's great, by the way, but but as great as he is, he's not 
the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible. Um, I just can't imagine getting a bunch of people together not teaching the Bible. So um, we teach books written by famous women. Uh, we're going to get in trouble. So, Jim, I'll be praying for you and hope that is the case. It's the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Uh, you know, people pray for revival, and a lot of these teachers talk about revival all the time. And honest, Jim, we don't need a... Um, um, a revival as much as we need a re-Bible. If that would hit our churches, then revival would take care of itself. Let's go to uh, line two. We've got Jim, who we just spoke with. We've got a follow-up question. Jim, you're on the air. Thanks. No, I wanted to follow up, but just another question. And your answer to my okay. question about the fear of God was really good. I really appreciate your, your sharing. Um, Thanks. Question about a verse in Proverbs. It's Proverbs twenty six eighteen. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? I had a, a brother who would do that. He wasn't my neighbor, and he was just good-natured. But I remember one time I, I called him out of town saying, hey, I can't come in town. Could you help out with this ministry obligation? I said, he said, no, I can't do that. And I, I got anxious. He said, okay, I'll go do that. I, you know, I'm just kidding. It, it, and he was, he was just kind of playing with me, and it's like, I, I cited this verse before, and he just he didn't think that was applicable or whatever. But it's just a mess. <laughs> I, I I don't know. It, am I reading that too harsh in there? I'm not, not being good natured about it, but it it just messed with my brain because he had the power to say no, and he said, "Yeah, okay, I'm just kidding you." Yeah, you know, um, Jim, I, I I think it depends on. Uh, I have a sense of humor. Now, it's it's not evident to anybody but me, but. Um, um, uh, I have to be very careful with my sense of humor uh, because I don't want to be mistaken. However, when somebody who knows me really, really well, somebody who trusts me and somebody who, you know, we've got a relationship, then I think I ought to be given the benefit of the doubt. And in this case, if you know this brother well, if he's got a good heart, he's right with God, then you give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, but but what what uh, Solomon is saying in those two verses is just that some things just aren't funny, and um, um, you know I, I wouldn't receive what your friend said from a stranger nearly as well as I would receive it from a guy that I knew well and knew his heart was right. I wouldn't automatically assume that he was that he was erring and kidding with me. Um, um, you know, I just, that's who he is. It's okay. But, but I think especially talking to strangers, um, we need to be careful how we use our sense of humor. Uh, people get offended so easily. Uh, you know, we, we, we're very careful here about the announcements we make. We're very careful about even the jokes we tell or anything, because we don't want to, to offend somebody that doesn't know us and know they can trust us yet. So, um, that that's the only thing I could offer, Jim. Yeah, thanks. I, I think okay. I recall you did the same thing when you had a brother call and say, "Can I can I go to the retreat?" Because he wouldn't go to jail church anymore. And you said, "No, you can't go." And he said, "Yeah, we can." But you you knew him, so that was kind of example of what you're talking about. Yeah, and and he knew me and, and knew my sense of humor, but yeah. but uh, I would not say that same thing to a stranger for sure. Yeah, and I hope nobody turned the radio off and say, "Hey, that's Pastor he was mean." You know, and they didn't hear your your final response to that. But yeah, I, I could tell. Yeah, you knew him, and he he understood what you're kind of joshing about. So that's good. Yep. Cool. Thank that's you, really Jim. Appreciate it. Thanks for your help. Appreciate uh, it. God bless you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I've got a, another question from another Jim. Three different Jims today. Um, and he wants to know what are my thoughts on the movie The Moses Controversy. Um, Jim, two things. I haven't seen the movie. That's that's the, the most important thing. I know what it's about. Um, but, but with a title like that, it wouldn't be a movie that would um, be of interest to me. Uh, I think there's absolutely no controversy at all about Moses. Uh, the movie is about... Uh, is a response, uh, I think, a, a, a response to the intellectual community that says Moses didn't really write the first five books of the Bible. Um, um, for me, there's no controversy. There's no point in, in watching somebody prove that there's no controversy. And I think that's the conclusion the, 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 the maker of the film comes to. But, but, but all I have to do is look in the New Testament. Jesus quotes Moses from all five books of the Bible, uh, and he attributes every one of the quotes 
to Moses, and that ought to settle it for all of us. So I'm, I'm, it's just not something that I would be interested in seeing So, or, or spending any time. We had a caller earlier who wanted to know about time management. Honestly, I just don't have time for things like this. I don't see any value at all. And and I've heard people say, but Pastor Ron, you know, if you're going to be intellectually honest, then you've got to you've got to look at the opposing viewpoints. When Jesus settles an issue for me, Jim, it's settled. So I haven't seen the book or the movie rather, and I um, I am um, unable really to to offer anything other than that. Thank you for calling. Thank you for listening to the program. Here's a question from Marty. He says, what do you know about Reiki, uh, R-E-I-K-I? Um, uh, Marty, I've never heard that word used before. I did look it up. It's New Age um, sort of energy healing, and it's nonsense and dangerous. It's a kind of stuff that Christians need to be uh, need to avoid altogether. So um, it's, it's just sort of healing yourself through this, this energy healing. Uh, it is very, very, very new age. It has nothing to do with our Jesus or nothing to do with our Bible. So avoid it altogether. Adam says, uh, Pastor Adam, youth pastor, and I want to know what you think is the right approach to youth ministry. How can I get through to kids who don't want to hear about the Bible? Adam, God bless you for wanting to get through to those kids. But the one thing you cannot do is cave into what they want or don't want. Here's what you do. You give them the Bible. Just the Bible. You don't entertain them. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm a little extreme here, Adam, so extreme compared to others. You know, you go to high school ministries all over town and you find um, beanbag chairs and couches and cool-looking rooms with posters and everything on it. Um, um, our, our youth ministry, they sit in chairs. Uh, they, they sit like they're wanting to study the Bible. Um, we want them to understand this is serious business. It's adult business. I don't know a teenager that doesn't want to be treated like an adult. So that's what we do. They sit just like the adults do, and we teach them the Bible. Now, we've got some real space issues here. So our kids have learned to study the Bible in, in even some of the worst possible environments. On Sundays, our high school ministry is at Mr. Gaddy's. They have been wonderful to us. God bless Mr. Gaddy's and, and you in the audience pray for him. Ask God to continue to bless him. For years and years and years at no charge, they've let our high schoolers go in and use one of the big rooms in there. Um, and, um, and, and we have our youth ministry there, but, but everybody knows they're going to get a Bible study. Pastor Nelly is our high school pastor and he is, um, a great Bible teacher, not a good one. He's a great Bible teacher and, um, it doesn't matter what they want. He gives them the Bible. Now he provides opportunities, especially on Monday nights, uh, for some, some question and answer things related to the Bible studies. Um, but we, we want our kids to know the Bible. And if they say, well, I don't want to know the Bible, I don't want to hear about the Bible, we just tell them, well, sit down and be quiet while the rest of us do. And if you do anything else, Adam, you're not going to reach them. It is impossible to reach somebody except through the living, active Word of God. And by the way, for an earlier caller, Jim, and and for you, Adam, um, on Friday night here, uh, I'm going to be teaching Hebrews chapter 4, 12 and 13. And all I'm going to talk about is the Bible, the living, active, powerful word of God. And you can't get through to the kids, but the spirit of God can. And we have had countless cases over the years, Adam, where uh, it, it just appeared that kids were hopeless and they had no interest at all. And they were being divisive and and and, and disruptive. And then all of a sudden they get saved, radically saved. Well, that's what the Word of God does. So um, don't worry about the response you get. You be faithful to teach the Word. And the Word doesn't return void. You'll be able to see the fruit of your ministry. If, in fact, you cave into what they want or don't want, um, then you're simply abandoning them. 
So, Adam, I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, Here is an anonymous question. Uh, My husband and I attend different churches. Should we be going to the same church? Uh, Absolutely, you should be going to the same church. Uh, I don't know what the reasons are that you attend different churches. You haven't uh, indicated that in your question. Um, But um, the only reason you should go to different churches or the only explanation for going to different churches if it would be if one of you wants to go to a church that's a false church, false teaching church. Um, but remember, you're one flesh, not two. Uh, you can't serve together if you're at different churches. Uh, I'm guessing that the, the relationship isn't growing in depth in Christ. Um, um, you've got to get your heart on the same page. Now, this is going to be a hard one for you, but assuming that your husband's not going to a false teaching church, um, he's a spiritual leader. Go where he goes. You say, but this is the church I was raised at. This is the where I have friends and family. None of that matters. God will bless you abundantly, and if he's going to a church that just doesn't suit you, it's not false, but it's just boring, I promise you the work God will do in your heart as a result of your submission to his leadership will be worth anything and everything you have to deal with. But yes, a thousand times yes, you and your husband should be going to the same church, serving that church together, not just going to church. Remember, and this is for all of you, we don't just go to church where we are the church, and because we are the church, we have to serve our body. Hands and feet. Some of you are mouthpieces. Some of you are hands in the encouraging sense. But we all ought to be doing something to support the body that Christ has put us in. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. How am I doing on time? Okay. Uh, here's a question from Cheryl. Oh, just got my five minute warning. So that's what we got. Cheryl says, "Should we tell LGBT people that God loves them but hates their sin?" Cheryl, I think one of the worst things that we can say to somebody who identifies as LGBT is that God. Uh, hates the sin but loves the sinner. And that's this glib cliche that we Christians have been throwing out forever and ever. What we need to understand is that when you're talking to somebody who's an unbeliever, they identify in their sin. And I'm a white guy. I, I, I can't pretend to be anything else. Um, um, well, th- that same identity has been drilled into the souls and the psyches of LGBT people. So when you say that uh, we love you, but we hate your sin, um, to them that's just a statement of hate. You may remember, Cheryl, if you listen to the program, I think it was yesterday or maybe the day before, I had a question from, um, it was yesterday, from, from, a, from a female listener in Austin, wanting to know, uh, how come God hates LGBT people based on something I said on an earlier program? Uh, God loves everybody. And so what we need to tell LGBT people is the same thing we tell heterosexual people. We need to tell them that God loves them, that God died for their sins, and that relationship with God is available. Now, often with LGBT people, they will bring up their sin. We run into this all the time. Yeah, but God doesn't want me to be happy. God doesn't love me or doesn't care about me. We have to explain to them. we got to know how to explain to them that, yeah, God does love you. And in fact, he loves you so much that knowing you were going to sin, he sent his son to die for those sins. You see, we don't have an intellectual argument. We don't have a persuasive intellectual argument, I should say, for not living in a homosexual lifestyle. But what we have is the word of God. And Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will knock on the door of their heart. So we've got to point them to Jesus. And I think we get too caught up in our culture. we got to tell people what they have to stop doing or what they can't do instead of introducing people to Jesus. 
So, no, we shouldn't tell people that God loves them but hates their sin. Just tell them God loves them and explain what he did to prove it. And let the Holy Spirit do the work, Cheryl, that so many of us are trying to do. Rudy asks, Pastor Ron, if people take the mark of the beast in Revelation, can they change their minds? Rudy, no. Once they take the mark of the beast, they're past the point of no return. They will take that mark knowingly. They will know what they're doing. The Antichrist will make it absolutely clear. They're pledging loyalty to him and to his master, the devil. And um, so there is no changing their minds. At that point, it's too late. Now, I know if you're asking the question, um, because there is a teaching that's sort of circulating now uh, about uh, there are people who just, God understands that they're scared. God understands they've got families to support. You won't be able to buy anything, food. You won't be able to participate in the economy without the mark of the beast. And people say, well, God would want us to provide for our families. So th- there are people who, if they take the mark of the beast, God knows if they're serious or not. It's not going to be that way in the book of Revelation, Rudy, not at all. In the Great Tribulation, the lines are going to be drawn, and you're going to know what side of the line you're on. By the way, when you take that mark, then you're going to be given completely over to evil and wickedness because the Holy Spirit will no longer be active in your life. Not even trying to convince you anymore. You will have made that choice. So uh, it is a last chance thing. One other thing, we're in the last minute here. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that think, well, you know, I could get saved now, but I, I can get saved later and I can still have some fun. Um, you never know when you're going to cross that line in this life. So what we've got to do is we've got to make a choice about who we're going to serve. We've got to make a choice about to whom do we belong. And we have to do it while we're alive. Rudy, thank you for the question. Hey, thanks for the phone calls today and the questions. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Remember, tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with ladies from the Women's Retreat. Don't miss it. They will be a blast. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm teaching Isaiah chapter 10 tonight. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.